This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I don't care what toys you had in the 70s, Gavin. You weren't even alive in the 70s. And if you were, best toy you would have had is a chipped piece of wainscoting. The following podcast contains swearing, taking the Lord's name in vain, explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When your children's toy was made out of some sort of viscous, possibly allegedly toxic red goo, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, in this episode number 342, Come and Buy My Weird-Ass Toys, where we talk about those strange-ass but wonderful toys we were playing with when I was a kid in the 1970s. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by My Pet Fart, the toy all the kids are tooting for. New from Dave Co. Toys, just in time for Christmas, comes the funnest new toy that all the kids will be begging for under the tree, My Pet Fart. My Pet Fart is a fluted plastic bottle where kids can catch and keep their farts. Then they can decorate their pet farts with all sorts of outfits, disguises, and accessories, each sold separately for endless hours of play. Mom and Dad can play along with our fun companion game, Who Farted? A guessing game about who smelt it and who dealt it. My Pet Fart and Who Farted, new from Dave Coa Toys. It's natural fun for people with daughters, but mostly sons. We have with us tonight Mr. Irwin Mainway, president of Mainway Toys. Uh, Mr. Mainway, your company manufactures the following so-called harmless playthings. Uh, pretty Peggy ear piercing set, Mr. Skin Grafter, General Tron secret police confession kit, and Doggy Dentist. And what about this innocent rubber doll, which you market under the name Johnny Switchblade? Press his head, and two sharp knives spring from his arms. Mr. Mainway, I'm afraid this is by no means a safe toy. Okay, I'm just, I just want to correct you on one thing here, okay? First of all, the full name of this product as appears in stores all over the country is uh, Johnny Switchblade Adventure Punk. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, nothing goes wrong. These, these little girls buy them, you know, they play games, they make up stories, nobody gets hurt, you know? I mean, so uh, Barbie uh, takes a knife once in a while or Ken gets cut, you know? I mean, uh, there's no harm in it, I mean, as far as I can see, you know? As a child of the 1970s, I, of course, had a different experience than later generations, an experience that might lead some mother hen types to say, Those kids are going to kill themselves. After all, we spent hours on our bicycles on busy city streets without helmets, knee pads, headlights, and often that little red reflector thing that was hung under the back seat. Did a few of us die in horrible accidents crushed beneath the wheels of a 1970 Ford Fairlane? It happens from time to time. But that was just the price of doing the important business of raising a normal, well-adjusted child in America at the time. I don't want you to think our parents didn't love us. They did, of course. But, you know, it was a... Look, it was a different time. And no one could possibly be expected to know where their kids were and what they were doing all the time. 
And yes, if our toys were unregulated death machines, you should keep in mind that the entire world was pretty much an unregulated death machine too. Cars spewed aerosolized lead into the atmosphere. Kids were smoking two packs a day from secondhand smoke alone. And keep in mind, there were literally thousands of nuclear warheads that could rain without warning from the skies and kill every single human being on the planet five times over. So yeah, maybe people weren't worrying about child safety very much. But that also meant we had some awesome fucking toys. Toys that a later generation would never imagine because, yes, those toys could very easily kill someone. That sounds awesome. It totally was. Our BB guns alone were dangerously overpowered. I mean, forget putting out an eye. You pump that pellet gun enough and you could do some serious goddamn injuries. Who thought that was a good idea, right? I I don't think anybody thought about it at all. It was just something it was. I mean, the instructions clearly said pump it two to three times. And the thought that kids might pump it 20 just seemed ludicrous. Unless, of course, you were a kid. In which case, it was the most logical idea in the world. Particularly when your cousin was being a real ass and you wanted to teach him a lesson that he would never forget. And maybe send him to the emergency room to get a small metal projectile dug out of the meaty part of his butt. Those were the days. You know, now that I think about it, there is a, there's a small chance that uh, our parents may have loved us, but they didn't like us very much. Of course, not every 1970s toys was Mattel's My First Murder Machine. Far from it. I've said on this show before that the 1970s were the apex of children's toys. Moving past the clockwork wind-up of previous decades and into the first generation of consumer electronics. This combined with advances in plastics and a plethora of pop culture icons like Star Wars, there was no better time to be a kid than in the 1970s. Come on, Grandpa. Let's go home. What? Do you want to hear about how horrible the world is now? You want me to go back to doing shows about how Trump is going to run for president in 2024? Or would you rather hear an aging man tell amusing stories about cool toys from when he was a kid? Yeah, that's what I thought. Of course, not every 70s toy was a winner. Some of them downright sucked. Most of you probably have some kind of recollection of the early 80s toy by Coleco that purported to be a football game. Coleco's electronic quarterback, a lot more football for the money. It wasn't football, it was a little red dot that moved across the screen with a bunch of other little red dots trying to get in front of it. It was a horrible, stupid game that everyone wanted. Hell, I hated football as a kid, but even I wanted one. But as bad as that game was, it was fucking light years ahead of the most confounding football game ever invented, and every damn kid alive in the 1970s played it. The Jets and Browns, the Chiefs and Colts, the Giants and Bears. The Vikings and Packers, the Rams and Cowboys, NFL, electric, football. You start the action. With two complete teams like the Rams and Cowboys in their own colorful uniforms. NFL electric football by Tudor. Electric football was a very simple game. You had your team of little plastic football players that assembled on the gridiron, each of them on a small magnetic stand. One of the little plastic figures had a football in their hands, the ostensible quarterback. Then you had a tiny plastic catapult. What the? What is this, a catapult? I don't know any other way to describe it as a plastic cup with a rubber band that kicked the football to start the play, and wherever the ball landed was the line of scrimmage. Then you lined up your plastic magnetic players, offense and defense, in a formation for no reason whatsoever because the next thing you did was 
Turn on the field. That was the field. It was a vibrating board. And that vibrating board caused the players to ideally simulate the play of the football by blocking and breaking through towards the end zone. This is never ever what happened invariably the board would shake the players into a giant knot the quarterback would fall over before he moved an inch and you would need to reset the game and start all over is this your idea of fun man oh no the game itself was the opposite of fun it was anti-fun you could remove fun from the room just by taking the board out but you know what was fun slowly driving your parents insane with that awful grinding noise of that stupid vibrating board until they lost their minds, screamed at you to go outside and do something dangerous until it was time for supper, which is what we wanted to be doing in the first place. Electric football, for all its annoying quirks, was a very successful toy, and if you thought about it from a certain perspective, it could make a certain kind of sense. Played correctly, which was almost never... You could kind of actually simulate what the football game might look like if it was played by little plastic figures on a vibrating metal board. But there were no shortage of toys in the 70s, which made no fucking sense whatsoever, no matter how you looked at it. I mean, I guess if you were high as fuck, which I presume most of the designers of these toys were, it could have some sort of logic, even if it was, wouldn't it be funny if we convinced the people to buy this stupid shit for their kids? Which, now that I think of it, is actually how all toys are designed and marketed. None of that means that these insane toys didn't sell, or that we didn't play with them. Hell, some of the most bizarre toys were the ones that you could have the most fun with. Is everyone here very stoned? Well, it's the 70s, you can't really rule anything out, but I can safely say I didn't start experimenting with recreational drugs until well into the Reagan administration in the 80s. But that was mostly because Nancy Reagan told me I shouldn't. I guess I could begin with this. This is for my grandson, who slept on a large rock about that big for years. <laughs> Don't you think he deserves it? Well, now I've grown to be a man. Well, these are the show rocks, Jim, as you can see. These are very elegant, what we call our blue ribbon collection. Now, I would say that our pedigree rocks here are very feisty. I'm going to do what the book says, take it home and give it a lot of love and uh, make a nice place for it in the kitchen. Our rock wouldn't be happy in a carrier such as we sell what we might call the mongrel rock in. Right. And this is up to the customer, you know, what kind of a home they want to make for the rock. There was a time that I thought I could do an entire show about the pet rock, but when you come right down to it, what more is there to say than it was a rock that people paid money for and kind of, sort of, pretended it was their pet. Wait, that's it? That is, as you say, it. Gary Dahl, an advertising guy... Oh, now I see it. Was drinking with some buddies at a bar one night, listening to them complain about their pets. Which, given that this was the 70s, was surprisingly not about their female companions, but their actual animal companions. And that's when Gary said his idea of the perfect pet was a rock. It was easy to care for, had a great personality, and did not routinely shit and piss on the beds of their human caretakers. Which, I must admit, does make the rock sound very appealing. 
It soon turned into a, the group bouncing around all the ways a pet rock was the perfect pet. And since alcohol was involved and advertising people, they were soon evolving it into exactly how one could actually convince people to turn over their actual money for an object they could pick up off the ground literally anywhere. Doll went to a building supply store and picked out the most expensive rock in the place, a Rosarito beach stone with a pleasing rounded shape that cost exactly one cent U.S. currency. He then packed the rock in a box with air holes cut in the cardboard because you know you want your rock to get fresh air at all times and a training manual for your pet rock. It was probably the training manual which truly made the pet rock a phenomenon. Allow me to read a short passage from the pet rock Training Manual, quote, The care and training of your pet rock. Important. Do not remove your pet rock from its box before reading item one in this booklet. Copyright 1975. Rock Bottom Productions. Item one. Your new pet rock is a very sensitive pet and may be slightly traumatized from all the handling and shipping required in bringing the two of you together. While you may look in on your new pet from time to time, it is essential that you leave your rock in its box for a few days. It is advised that you set the box in an area of your home that has become your pet rock's special place. Some pet rock owners have found that the ticking of an alarm clock placed near the box has a soothing effect, especially at night. It takes most pet rocks exactly three days to acclimate themselves to their new surroundings. After 72 hours have passed, you may remove the rock from its box and begin enjoying your new pet. Note, if when you remove the rock from its box it appears to be excited, place it on some old newspapers. The rock will know what the paper is for and require no further instructions. It will remain on the paper until you remove it, unquote. It goes on from there to describe the lineage of your rock, how many of the breeds of the rock there are, and what kind of breed your rock is, it then comes back to how to train your rock in simple obedience. Quote, to teach the command come, place your rock on the floor or ground and take a few steps backwards. Next, bending over from the waist, place your hands on your knees and face your rock. Now, with firm authority, say, come, Brutus. If you've not named your rock Brutus, you may wish to say something else. Repeat the command, come, Brutus. Assuming your rock is normal, it will probably not respond. Start again. Bending over the waist, face your rock, clap your hands, and let your face light up and say, Come, Brutus, come on now, fella here, boy, and stuff like that. Now start walking slowly towards your rock. Incredibly, as you walk towards your rocks, you will notice it is actually coming closer. This means your pet rock is learning the command, Come. Praise your rock and give it a pat of approval. A pad of approval works wonders, unquote. Dahl sold the pet rock for $3.95 and became a multimillionaire in six months. God bless you! God bless America! Did I have a pet rock? Of course I had a pet rock. Everyone had a pet rock. How else could Gary Dahl become a multimillionaire in six months selling rocks at four bucks a pop? It's a toy. The pet rock was pretty unspectacular. 
Admittedly, it wasn't a toy in the classic sense of the word, but they were widely gifted to kids by adults who thought the idea was fucking hilarious. And as kids, we took one look at the toy and immediately summarized, I got a rock. Still, it was a good rock, smooth and rounded, very aerodynamic when thrown at an annoying cousin, and it stood a very good chance of causing serious danger or even death. In 1982, a 62-year-old woman was killed in Australia after her lover struck her in the head with it, which if you read your training manual, you would know was always a possibility. In the more traditional toy market, however, things were still pretty fucking bizarre. In 1977, Kenner decided that kids didn't squeeze enough teats anymore and decided to rectify that problem with this. Here's Milky, the marvelous milking cow. It's fun to milk her, gonna do it right now. She drinks the water when we pump her tail. She's raising her head, it's milking time now. Her pretend milk is a feeling the pail. She drinks water, I just pretend milk. Milky, the marvelous milking cow. Milky, the marvelous milking cow with pretend milk tablets. She's from Kenner. It is just as horrifying as you are imagining right now. Children, children would pump the tail of the cow, causing her to draw water into her body, mix with a tablet of white powder, and then connect a plastic udder sack, which they would squeeze to cause a thick white paste-like substance to squirt energetically from said teat into a plastic cup. The substance in the plastic cup was highly evocative of putting it as innocently as I can. We'll need a sample of your sperm. And if things were not <laughs> bizarre enough, Milky had friends, Marco and Melissa Milk Drop, which, if you're curious, very much did look like anthropomorphized. Tons of jizz, ejaculate. In case you were wondering, Milky's not jizz wasn't toxic, though you weren't supposed to drink it, and no, I never had one because even at 10, I would have realized that something was really off about this creepy, pervy fucking toy. Then, we gotta talk about Stretch Armstrong. Bye, man. Exercise for John Strong today. Yeah. How about you stretch him? Wow, look at that. You together. Pull. 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 Now lift him up. Stretch Armstrong. Next up, go. Stretch Armstrong was, uh, I'm not at all sure what the fuck Stretch Armstrong was supposed to be. A wrestler, maybe? A, a bodybuilder? He was, he was a doughy, blonde-headed dude with bulging arms and legs. Jesse Horowitz, the Kenner toy designer who created Stretch Armstrong, described him as a all-American hunk. Damn, girl. Break me off a piece of that. Which, okay. He kind of looked like Hulk Hogan if Hulk Hogan was afflicted with some horrible disease that caused him to retain water to the point that he looked like he was about to explode. And the idea behind Stretch was that he got, uh... Perfect and long and stretchy. Which he very much did. In his unstretched form, Stretch was about 15 inches tall, but he could elongate up to five feet in every direction. His only saving grace in that aspect was that Stretch was not anatomically correct. Stretch was disturbing his original form, 
But it was only in the hands of young boys that Stretch became, uh... Potentially problematic. Yeah. Here's the thing. Stretch was, uh, very flexible. He was a latex doll filled with, sh- I shit you not, Cairo corn syrup. So you could move him any which way and he would slowly return to his original form, meaning old Stretch could be made to do things that the normal human body simply could never do. He broke his neck trying to suck his own dick. Yeah, that would never would have happened to Stretch. And it didn't take long for us young lads to contort Stretch into some very compromising positions. For God's sakes, it's an innocent doll! He was, and that's why we would laugh and laugh and laugh while he slowly reverted to his less licentious form. Yes, pod friends, preteen boys have been obsessed with sucking their own dicks long before the internet ever came along. It's one of those things we could figure out without any sort of external influence and also discover that no matter how limber we were, the angles and the reach were just never going to quite happen. So we had to resort to doing it with poor Stretch Armstrong. Stretch is still around today right now and somewhere in the world a pubescent boy is putting Stretch's head between his legs and giggling like a motherfucker. The most problematic thing about Stretch was not his lured flexibility, it was the challenge of breaking Stretch Armstrong. We did this because the rumor said that Stretch was filled with a toxic substance that would kill you. He wasn't. Again, it was Cairo corn syrup. Kenner designed a remarkably resilient toy because they knew that the second little boys got their hands on Stretch or any of Stretch companion's toys, our first thought would naturally be... Hey, Brian, how far can you stretch that? And the race was on to rip Stretch Armstrong apart by seeing how far you could make him stretch. It was practically impossible to destroy Stretch Armstrong. Nothing you did to him would harm him. You could tie Stretch Armstrong to two automobiles and slowly try to drive them in opposite directions, but chances are the rope that you would use to tie Stretch to the cars would break before Stretch would. How do I know this? Come on, people. Had uncles. That's what uncles are for. And because Stretch is still around today, the race to destroy Stretch continues to this very day. We have this thing right here, and we're going to show you guys 10 ways to break it. You can't tell from the audio, but that was two little boys holding a Stretch Armstrong. And Stretch was not then, nor is he now, easy to destroy. Whack him with a hammer, drive a knife into his body, he'd still keep right on going. Shoot him with a real fucking gun. And yes, I watch videos where people did this and his body stopped the bullet. These people put Stretch Armstrong in a vacuum chamber. And to be honest, that fuck Stretch up is pretty fucking cool to watch too. Okay, today I'm going to be popping Stretch Armstrong in the vacuum chamber. But first, in order to get him to puff up, we need to heat him up. And I'm gonna do that in the microwave. So you're gonna get to see Stretch Armstrong in the microwave and then in the vacuum chamber. Google Stretch Armstrong in the vacuum chamber. Oh, that's fucking amazing. Now what if, I hear you asking, perhaps, say, I had some liquid nitrogen? Yes, pod friends, liquid nitrogen will fuck Stretch up. It isn't something that lends itself to an audio program, so I strongly urge you to watch Stretch Armstrong being dunked in liquid nitrogen on YouTube. Very satisfying. But of course, your uh, your average 12-year-old in 1975 isn't going to have liquid nitrogen just lying around. So, you know, we just had to set him on fire. Which was uh, actually 
really fucking satisfying. There are plenty of other toys in the what the hell were they thinking category. There was the inchworm, which was a plastic green worm on wheels that little kids would ride by bouncing up and down while the inchworm literally inched its way forward. That was a fucking toy designed by a parent who knew that if his kids rode that for a while, they would tire themselves out and be quiet for a little bit. Or how about the laughing bag, which was exactly what the name says, a bag that when you pressed it, it laughed in the most annoying fucking laugh ever created. Whomever created that was not only not a parent, but actively hated parents in general. Or how about Hugo, Man of a Thousand Faces, which was like a Mr. Potato Head, but with an actual human head. Unmodified, Hugo looked as though he was the kind of doll that had the bodies of the little boys he raped and murdered in a crawl space under his house. Hugo's, with his various facial appliances, looked somehow worse. Like the doll with the bodies of little boys he raped and murdered in a crawl space under his house was wearing a fake nose and beard. And Hugo was also a ventriloquist puppet, which just upped the creepy factor by several thousand percent. Who could forget that time Barbie's little sister Skipper went through puberty in a doll that when you tugged on her arm, it made her grow taller and somehow develop boobs. You're making that up, aren't you? No. Oh no, trust me, it was very real. When you tugged on Skipper's arm, she got taller, and somehow, her breasts got bigger. Meet new growing up Skipper. She's two dolls in one. Because when you turn her arm, you can make her change instantly from a little girl to a tall, slender teenage doll, which is something you can't do. You can have fun with Skipper when she's little, then suddenly, you can make her grow up enough to wear her glamorous teenage skirt. New Growing Up Skipper is two dolls in one for two kinds of fun. Growing Up Skipper gets taller when you turn her arm and comes with these fashion accessories. Oh, I'd sit there for hours with my sister's Growing Up Skipper doll just yanking the shit out of that arm. Or there was a game from Mego whose actual, real, honest-to-God name, I shit you not, was Ball Buster. The name of the game is Ball Buster. And then there was the second most questionable movie tie-in toy of all time. Alien action figure, new from Kenner. I don't recall there being a chestbuster toy, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out there was. And you notice I said that was the second most questionable movie tie-in. What, you might ask, could be very could be worse than the very adult H.R. Geiger inspired alien from the movie Alien? Well, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the toy store. Jaws. 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 Jaws is the game where you try to fish out what's in the jaws of the great white shark. I'm going for the camera. Made it. But be careful, because if you remove the wrong piece, the jaws will get you. You're out. Jaws, it's you against the great white shark and each other from ideal. For those of you who just recently arrived on the planet, Jaws was a movie about a great white shark that terrorized a small New England town by violently killing and eating people. 
It's a tragically romantic love story. Sure, I guess. A love story about a 25-foot-long killing machine and its deep and abiding love for human flesh. The game Jaws was loosely based on a single scene in Jaws where Roy Scheider's Chief Brody and Richard Dreyfuss's Hooper cut open the stomach of a shark that was presumed to be the one who had so recently killed a child as a light snack. As they removed the contents of the belly, they discovered not the little Kintner boy, but various fish and a license plate from Florida. That's like I thought. I came up in the Gulf Stream from Southern Waters. Didn't need a car, did he? No. <laughs> Tiger shark's like a garbage can. It'll leave anything. So in the game, players equipped with a gaffing hook would fish out, no pun intended, various pieces of ocean detritus while Jaws' jaws slowly closed. If they snapped and caught your gaffing hook, you were out. The first person to remove four pieces of flotsam and jetsam won the game, and one of the pieces you could fish out was a plastic human skull. It was like Operation, except, you know, you were pulling human body parts out of a killer fish. The suggested age range for this game was ages four and up. Now, I watched Jaws in the theater when I was six years old, which is way too fucking young to see that movie. Indeed, I spent most of that movie with my head in the popcorn bucket so I wouldn't ski to see the fucking scary shark eating people. I was so traumatized by this, I refused to take a bath for a week, and honest to fucking God, had nightmares about a shark coming out of the toilet to eat my ass while I was taking a dump. Strange child. I had an active imagination. But someone at Ideal Toys said, you know what? We could make a totally awesome game for kids about this movie, and then did it. A game whose premise was literally removing human body parts from the mouth of a shark for four-year-olds. Who thinks that's a good idea and what parents buy that for their kids? Well, my parents actually, because uh, even after they had to literally console their terrified weeping son by explaining that there was no way a shark could fit through a sewer pipe, they still bought me the game. It was actually a lot of fun to play, but I think now you can clearly see what I mean when I tell you that parents of the 70s clearly love their children. It's just that they didn't like them very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for our show this week. Yes, the Toys Weavers are downright dangerous at times. Yes, they were fucking awesome. I think I need to buy myself a Stretch Armstrong and make him go down on himself before I make him blow up in the microwave. Speaking of stretching, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so people can hear it and go, "Eh, five stars was a pretty big stretch. All of my stretches of the imagination can be found on the social the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the show name on Facebook, and what the hell were you thinking pod on Instagram. All of our stretch monsters of a show can be found at whatthehellpodcast.com. If you can stretch your budget to kick us a dollar, see what I did there? We're on patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast, and we are proud members of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network who were really stretching for content when they picked up this show. So for me, Dave... 
Monkeys made of gingerbread and sugar horses painted red. Bledsoe, producer, you shall own a cambric shirt and you shall work your father's land, but now you shall play in the market square till you can be a man. Gavin and all the fictional smiling girls and rosy boys we want to say, honestly, Pet Rock really is a very great pet. Easier to care for. Hell of a lot better than my cat. We'll see you all next week. Coming by my toys You'd watch your father plow the fields With a ram's horn So did wide with peppercorn And furrowed with a bramble thorn Inked it with a sharpened scythe Fleshed it with a quill The miller told your father That he'd work it with the greatest will Now you're watching What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Sex toys! We got sex toys, people!